I'm going to get a workout in a little bit with my man Eric Linden, stunt coordinator from The Punisher. He's coming all the way up because we are about to get after it. And when that's done, he asked me in the car, are you going to have my shake ready? And I know what that means. Am I going to have my Sun Warrior shake? They've got the active protein, but they also have this collagen protein, which is amazing. They also have uh, the Warrior blend, which is a little bit lighter if you're trying to cut. And uh, I believe in it. I believe in that Sun Warrior stuff. Go to www.sunwarrior.com dot com slash real ones for 15% off. I appreciate y'all. What do you think like worked in that show? What do you think didn't work in that show? So I think one, it was, it was a sensitive it's, it still is a sensitive thing for Baltimore because I ran into that task force actually. Did you? Uh, like D did all of us. So like, yep. and they would just Are shake you good with him? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Okay, yeah, cool. and they just um, I just want to bite my balls off. No, no, he's good, man. He's good. <laughs> but um, you know, where the drugs at? Where the money? Like, you know, what you got or whatever. And they didn't get all of them. Right. So it's like they still exist. And so even there. when the officer got killed, people were like, some police officers that I'm friends with messaged me is like, don't, don't uh, post anything. Or whatever they took, uh, you know, all the the video footage from the neighborhoods. They had like a certain neighborhood on lockdown, yep. and like kept everybody quiet. So I was like, I ain't messing with that. Yeah, because like yeah, they yeah, come yeah. get you. It's too serious. It, yeah, it's, it was extremely raw, man. I mean, yeah. that was. I mean, if you think about it, that was 2018, and like it was funny because the first time I don't know if it's funny, but the first time you, you know I was a huge fan of D's. Yeah, because I read uh, his art, most hated cop in Baltimore. Back oh yeah, in yeah. Herschel, yeah. Right. I read that like a year before, and I reached out to him, and I was like, and it wasn't only just that that story was so amazing, right? But I was just so taken with the fact that like. He went about that story with such empathy. He was it wasn't just like this is the bad guy, I'm the good guy, I was yeah. the bad. It was, it was he just got the nuance. Yeah, yeah, I mean, as you know, it's so much yeah, more complicated dope. than that. And we are so much more alike than we are different. And that dude over there that you want to judge, that could be you in a yeah, different circumstance. Totally. And I just I was just so taken with the piece and so taken that he wanted to dive into that character. Yeah. So I reached out to him. Like a fucking fangirl, dude. I was yeah. just like, man, because then <laughs> I, I love started him, yeah. I read the cook up, then I read the East, and I was just like, dude, you that you are just it. And um, yeah, you know, I have this project I've been working on about uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. Been working on it for ten years. We're doing it uh, um, now um, with the same George Pelcanos and Ray yeah. Green who directed it. Um, but but I was like, D, I just want to be in your life. Like, what's up? And then like a year later, you know, I found myself on We Own the City with yeah. him. Like, you, I you love know. It with Wayne Jenkins, but we would, we would go and we would sit and we would talk to people in Baltimore. Yeah. And I just, a random person would go by and be like, Hey man, have you ever heard of Wayne Jenkins? And everybody, everybody yeah. Everybody, everybody knows yeah. what that is. Everybody knows. Yeah. It was Dee's birthday. Um, few, three days ago. So I was just sending him messages, but I talked to him all the time. He helped me, uh, with my book and I brought you a copy too. And Thank you, brother. I really appreciate that. On. But, uh, this is dope. And, and what do you think? Like, I mean, I think with those interestingly, like, you know, you know, once the show gets out there, since I'm like, you know, public about it and it's my yeah. face out there, a lot of people talk to me about it. But when you, you know, those plainclothes units, I mean, if you think about like what just went down in Memphis, yeah, yeah, it's like now those guys weren't plainclothes, like a lot of the plainclothes units got missed, yeah, you know, because when you think about like policing that way, like trying to put numbers on the board, just trying to make as many stops as you can for whatever reason, it's like. You know, the more stops you have, the yeah. the, the more potential for, for the it mo- to go. The O'Malley era when he was when he was mayor. Well, uh, well, they well they don't like it. 
I mean, I have, I'm friends. I'm, I know everyone like in the city and, and most of them don't like it, but they don't disagree. They don't think it was like inaccurate. Right. So it's like, for, for us, it's like, all right, we got The Wire, which is like uh, one of the greatest shows ever, we think. And But it, it does paint the, the city in, in a certain kind of light, which we're like- What do you mean by that? So so when people, people when they say, oh yeah, you from Baltimore, and they say, yeah, The Wire or whatever, and like, we're bigger than just The Wire. Like it's, we got all kinds of talent, some of the best, best artists of in course. the world are that's from right. there, all this stuff. But it's like, that's the first thing they think of. Yep. And so we're sensitive to, to that. So it's, it's like- a, it, That city, it's weird because growing up myself as a DC cat as well, yeah. it's so crazy oh, because yeah. you I grew feel, up in DC? I grew up, so I grew up in Cabin John and then okay. I went to school in Northwest. Oh, nice. Uh, I was in Spangon and Spangon and then uh, Chamberlain and uh, Chamberlain's in Southeast. But yeah, I grew up okay. in Northeast though. Did you did you do any uh, did you play sports as a kid or I ran track. You ran track. Okay, yeah, that's what's ran up. Track. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was on a chess team. I played I played chess competitively. Do you still play? I don't play anymore. Okay, but I, I'm thinking about jumping back in the game. That's what's yeah. up. That's what's yeah. up. But I think like for me, like DC versus Baltimore, and how for me growing up, even playing sports like boxing, yeah, doing rivalry, all the yeah. things, I had nothing really to do with Baltimore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but then yeah. when I made that show. And I lived there, you know, even though I, my, my family still lives in D.C., I was in Baltimore the whole time. And I fell in love with the city. And, yeah. it, and, and it is. There's a, this, it, it, it's a brutal and it's beautiful a soul, place. It's a, soul, it's a soulful, it's a soulful place. Yeah, very soulful city. And I love the people there. Yeah. It is very dangerous, though. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's in your face. Man. Yeah. And, and, and like when we there, like I, I think about it because I, I live in Baltimore. I have a house in Bolton Hill. Uh, and I just bought a vacation house in Miami. And then okay. I have an apartment in New York. And when I'm in Baltimore, and I know everyone there, but I'm still on the swivel. I'm looking for the police. That's right. We don't go to the gas stations at night. Yeah, the I'm gas looking stations. for the stick up boys. Like I'm like, you know, women like, yeah, meet me here in this thing. Well, I can't meet you there. Or yeah. just, you know, I can't wear the roly, certain neighbors, everything. The whole thing. Even when I, I'm out with D, we just we look around like, yeah, yeah, we talking, we having a good time, but we like watching the door, we watching <laughs> all that. Yeah. It's really real, man. And you know, I, I did so much of my time there. It was like three months going on ride alongs every yeah. and the cops are like that. Like you'll yeah. be with the cops. The cops are like, don't stop at this light, yeah, like, yeah. just keep going. Right, you know yeah. what I mean? And they're like, Yeah, this street, it, it done, it done. Like there were dudes who like told us. You know, we'd be in a in a police car and motherfuckers would be like tapping on the hood and be yeah. like, Y'all gotta get the get fuck out of, on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, this yeah. ain't for you right here. You know, and and uh yeah, man, but 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 yes, there's so much uh beauty there and the soul there, it's yeah. it's 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 uh palpable and it's alive. I'm excited. I saw my homie uh Wes Moore. Uh, yeah, he Wes. did the show, yeah. yeah. So he he wrote the intro to my book. I saw that I get, and um I I am I know the mayor, uh but I'm more, I'm super excited that Wes is in charge. I've been a friend with him a uh, long time. We've been through all kinds of stuff together, uh, but I think there's there's real hope for our, our city, but also for for the state. Agreed. So, yeah. So Agreed. I'm excited about that. He has the ability to attract talent. He's smart. He's strategic. Yep. Yeah. So and he's like, been through it, man. Yeah, he's been, been through it. Yeah. He's been through all elements. And yeah. like, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm um. You, you know, politicians scare the fuck out of me. me too. And I, I yeah. just like I'm kind of just like I like I yeah. I, I just kind of tapped out of that. But when I met him, um, you know, my best friend growing up uh, wor works with him. Okay, and uh, kid I played football with. You know, West came from playing football as well. Nice. And and um and then that book is just like again, I think it's 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 similar to 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 D. It's just the the book was written with such with such empathy and yeah. such like, I mean, that's kind of like the whole root of everything Wes was doing, you yeah. know, there for the grace of God go I, you know, and, and, um, I, I, I thought that was beautiful, but, but, but do you, I mean, I'm just wondering for me, this ain't even about the show, yeah, yeah, you know, like, but like, do you identify as a DC cat or a Baltimore cat? 
It's a good question. Uh, and I'm going to tell the truth and I'm going to get in trouble for it. <laughs> Baltimore. Really? Yeah. And my family, like, so my family, I grew, I was born and raised in Washington, D.C. They just, my, my cousin just called me yesterday and said, I don't know why you rep in Baltimore, why you moved there. You born here. You from here. Yeah. And it's like, but I, like, I haven't been there, like, in a while. And there's no love for me. And I said, the city's been gentrified. And, it has been. And, and they pushed everyone out. And then, you know, like, you know. It's just it's just not the same. What, so what what neighborhood did you grow up in? I grew up in Northeast, like uh -huh. uh, Lincoln Heights area, Lincoln uh, Division Heights. A Division Avenue, yeah. um, East Capitol Street, yeah. like in that area, like back in the old DC. But back, so what, what uh, like nineties? Yeah, eighties, late eighties. So yeah, we're like roughly 90s. around the same age. Huh? Yeah. How would you explain when I, when you say the real DC? Because yeah. like you're right, man. It is for me now going back. Even when I went back to yeah, go do definitely. We Own the City. I was like, who? Like, I want yeah. to tell people to run for their lives. Like, y'all can't be here. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I think it's, it's like, no, we got a yoga mat. Stay walking their dogs. And people crazy. are like, what do you do? Why should I be talking to and you? That's like, like just yeah. some old people shit, anyways. Because you remember when you were a kid, you would yeah. hear people be like, ah, you know, back in the day. Right. And I'm wondering whether that's just because we're old, but like, I am literally. I know there's gentrification everywhere, yeah. but I feel like DC has like literally just sort of like been lifted up and then replaced with something else. I agree. And, and my family, my family that are still there and, you know, kudos to them that they've moved up to the upper, the, the black upper middle class. So like they, every time I go and hang Where out with them. now? Like that's like, you know, yeah, like Northwest yeah. Yeah, and like yeah. on the water and Southwest and got yeah. like nice places yeah. and everything is, is just, is done over. Nice. But they sometimes say to me, why are you doing this work? Why, mm -hmm. why did you move to Baltimore? Why are you like, why are you going into prisons? Mm -hmm. Why are you doing gang mediation? Why mm -hmm. are you like in, in, in Southside Chicago? Like, fuck them. Mm -hmm. Like we made it. Look mm -hmm. at this. And mm -hmm. I said, well, what about all the people that got pushed out? That's right. They're like for, and like the Anacostia is probably like next, like they're working on them, but like thousands and thousands of people have been pushed to Peachy County, yep. um, Charles County, uh, maybe not Montgomery County, but maybe some. But that's like, and then it's and then it's over. It's checkmate. And now most people can't afford, like the people that we grew up with, they can't afford to live here. That's right. They changed the names of our neighborhoods. Y'all okay with that? It's crazy. And yeah. they just like, but we made it. Yeah. yeah. I'm just like, I'm just not comfortable that with it. That doesn't sit well with you. Yeah. Can you sort of walk me through uh, and walk the audience through a little bit about what DC, because for, for, for me, and and I'm sorry, it's just, this is a subject that's just so nah, near and dear to me, that's but I'm wondering if I our perspectives... It, yeah. For me, you know, especially going, you know, spending most of my time in Northwest Washington, right? Uh, you, you know, going to a private school, you know, for me, DC was always this exercise in hypocrisy, yeah. because like here you had this this federal land in the middle that was pristine, that was uh, it was Capitol Police and Secret Service, there was no yeah. litter, there was no, and then you had the rest of the city that was that to me at at that time, you know, it was it was. It was alive. It was vibrant. It was throt, but it was it was wild. Yeah. It was it was uh, it was extraordinarily dangerous. I knew, like as a kid, there are certain neighborhoods I Just couldn't can't go, go to unless yeah. I knew people there. And right. then sometimes they're like, "No, nah, you can't come in here now." Right. And then like playing sports and like going into places like Anacostia and stuff, I saw you know there's 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 a level of of, of neighborhoods that are completely forgotten. No stores, no shops. You know, totally. gun stores, liquor stores. There was it was. That with that juxtaposition of this federal that looked yeah. like Emerald City that really really kind of shocked me and, yeah. and had a big effect on my life. Like, how would you describe the real DC? I, I think about that a lot. And to speak to the real DC, uh, and it was definitely a very very soulful city. Uh, my grandfather uh, moved up to DC from Mississippi, and my grandmother was from North Carolina, and so I grew up 
with my grandparents raised me. I only spent the weekends with my mom in Prince George's County in Maryland. Uh, and it just was very different, the, the way our communities interacted. But it was, in my opinion, very uh, segregated. Mm -hmm. Like certain areas, like we just, we didn't go to, I mean, when we went to our, our uh, our institutions and, and, you know, Duke Ellington School of Arts and like Kennedy Centers, every now and then we would go and do things like that. But we stayed in our neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And and in the neighborhood that I grew up in in Northeast uh, D.C., there was actually no white people that lived in my neighborhood mm -hmm. except maybe the police. Yep. And we just we just stayed there and we would kind of look at it as it was two cities. It was just a city, you know, our, our area, and then it was like city. the other, yeah. And yeah. it's it's um, Baltimore is kind of similar to this now. We 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 call it there's two Baltimores, and and it's been it's been designed like that on purpose. If you look back in history of like who was allowed to to uh, uh, own a home and, and where could you live, and if you was Jewish and, it, and if you was black, and you the percentages, you know, interest rates on your bank loans. It, it was just all these things that were put in place. Uh, that really decimated the city. And I think D.C. was experiencing that back in the late 80s, especially uh, when the crack epidemic started pushing into D.C. For and sure. it was like when the National Guard came in, like in the early like 90s, and it yeah. was city under siege, and it was all the drugs and all the shootings and stuff happened. Um, and, and that's the era that I grew up in, and it was love in my neighborhood, but we all had to carry weapons. We all had to be mindful of where we went, or if I was from a certain neighborhood, and I couldn't go to Southwest. That's right. You know, it was just certain things we had we had to do. But I think the people, I think the people were soulful and good people. We had a lot of a lot of culture. Not saying that DC doesn't have it now. Um, and and you know, I was talking with my family about this uh, a few days ago. Gentrification has gotten ugly. Like when you say it, it's like, oh, are you gentrifying? But gentrification could be a good thing. Sure. And I'm not sure. I mean, if everyone's included into, yeah. into it, right? Yeah. I don't think that happened with DC, but yeah. I do think economically it is a, a better, more vibrant city. Yep. But I worry about my people that got pushed out. Yep. yep. And, and, th and those were good people. And so I worry about them. And so I think we dropped the ball on that. And I imagine in the beginning you can have, you, like, you can have good intentions. Like I remember like that, 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 um, that U Street quarter yeah. and and up by Cardoza. Yeah. You know, I remember you, you know, as a kid, like, you know, my mom was always like, You should act, you should act. You know, because yeah. I was always getting in <laughs> fucking trouble. They, they were trying to throw me out of school and then get in trouble with the law and shit. Yeah. My mom was like, you know, you're just crazy, like you should put that towards town. I was like, I ain't no fucking bitch ass. Right, yeah. <laughs> I fought it. But I remember right. she got me to go to um, you know, the studio theater up on um it's on, uh, I, th I think it's on P Street. Is it on P or U? I think it's on U, U Street. Street. Maybe on U Street. I think, I think it's yeah. on U Street. And like back in the day, that area was a different kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was dangerous out there and bad shit was going on. And you could see time, it yeah. all the time. And and then I remember going back, you know, this was, it was like right at the beginning of the gentrification. I went and I actually did a play at that same theater. And I remember seeing like the neighborhood was starting to change. And there were these people. I remember they like built a Whole Foods. Yeah. And the whole thing was like, hey, you yeah, know, that's, like, the, that's sound. the beginning. Whole, yeah, right? Whole Foods that's, kind of like. And I, I remember like being <laughs> yeah. like, damn, it was like way in the beginning of that Whole Foods shit. And I remember like the people at Whole Foods were like, we're bringing jobs to the neighborhood. And, and like, I remember talking to folks and they're like, yeah, I grew up in this neighborhood. Now I, live, I was like, oh shit, Whole, yeah, Whole Foods. Foods. Yeah, Whole Foods. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. they're doing a damn thing. Like, yeah. they're, you know, like it was so, you know, and this is going to be the, but then going back 10 years after that. Yeah. And it was like, where'd all the people go? Yeah. It's like they're, you know, and then what I mean? they started like, changing the names of the neighborhoods in the community. Oh, we don't call it this. So it's just like, we're, we're, we're a baby New York. Or it's, right. it was like, why are y'all trying to erase? And even recently, of trying to uh, uh, eradicate go go music. And go -go that's, that's music. part of our soul, like, soul of our city. That's right. And we had to like fight 
to keep that. That's and right. so uh, and it's the one thing that's ours. It's the yeah, one thing that yeah, doesn't belong to any yeah. other city. And and I remember right on U Street, you remember yeah. on the corner, they used to play it out of that and like and then that was like all of a sudden the neighbors were having like a problem with that. Like, yeah. how do you have a problem with that? That's yeah. that's what U Street is yeah. about. That's that's what I have a problem with of of that history, that rich history that we grew up in try, you know, they're trying to erase it. And so like that's a problem. And even now currently in DC, one of the things I'm gonna get involved in it to advocate against is when people are incarcerated in Washington DC, they send you all over the country. That's right. And, and I think about the 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 families and them having interactions and visitations. Like you gotta catch planes, trains. You gotta travel to see your loved ones, or sometimes you can't see them at all. Talk about the importance, uh, you know, for spending the amount of time incarcerated that you right. did. Talk about because that's something that, that that's something I've talked to a lot of folks about. There's somebody near and dear to me right now who who's who's been in prison. He he committed his crime when he's 14. Yeah. He's been in since he's 28 and we talked to him a lot. Now he's so far away his mom none of, nobody can get to him for yeah. that. Talk about like what the importance is of having consistent visitors and that link to the outside world. Absolutely. And and especially for young people whose brains aren't developed, who don't have the processing uh, system to make you know, rational decisions and, and end up in prison. So you're in prison. Uh, this, the, the the relationship with your family uh, is, is very important in your re rehabilitation process. Mm -hmm. So being able to see your family, being able to, uh, you know, think about what led you to prison and then working on this reentry process. Uh, I've, I've created a, a program called a master plan course that's in 22 states now that helps Young people go through steps. How do you deal with rock bottom? How do you deal with trauma? What does trauma do, do to your body? Mm -hmm. uh, and your relationship with your family is is critical. When I unfortunately, when I went away, I was sentenced to, to life in prison at the age of seventeen, and it wasn't that far from my family. It was about an hour drive. Where were you, Lorton? I was in uh, Jessup. Jessup, okay. Jessup, Maryland. And so when I when I got sent away. My family, like it was too expensive for, for me to call home. My phone bill was $800 a month. My mom was like, I, I can't talk to you. And I said, well, can you come see me? And it's like, it's, it's, it's too far. And it's just, and so that really did something to me. But I think what it's- What did a, it do? It just, it just made me feel like I was alone and that my life didn't matter. And I didn't have agency over myself. I said, what does it matter if I get up and go to therapy or if I, if I, if I go take the pre-GED test because no one cares about me, so why should I care about myself? Which, which is which is really everything. If yeah. you don't have that, you don't have anything there. And, and so I, I think that's important. And, and it's, it's just helpful for people, especially people who make a mistake and end up in prison. We need family. Because your family's doing time too, by the way. That's like right. they, they lose their loved one. They're doing time. We're all hurting. But I think the rehabilitation process, we got to do it together. And that, that means we have to be able to speak to our families. Like they were charging all kinds of you know, a dollar's amount for us just to call home. Like that that shouldn't happen. So we should be able to communicate with our family. We should be able to see our family, sit with our family. And yeah, the punishment, you committed crime, you should be punished. But the punishment is you doing your time, but you still should be able to interact with your family because that helps you reacclimate into society. What's the logic behind outrageous phone bills? What like why like what why do you think like yeah. what, what is the reasoning behind? Cause I know that's the case. And I yeah. know that, you know, when people try to call me and you know how it is, it's, yeah. it's you get federal prison, you get 15 minutes, it's yeah. monitored. Like I understand for like security reasons, but why make it so expensive? Like what is the reasoning behind that? You know, my, my personal belief is that slavery never, never went away in America. It just, 
metamorphosized itself until what we see today, this prison industrial complex. So if you have slavery, you have the convict lease system, you have Jim Crow laws. And so it's just evolved into this thing that we see now that is like, how do we one, how do we one like suppress, you know, poor people, black people, people of color, take their rights to vote, make it very difficult for them like to move up in America, but also how do we make money? Mm. It's all about money now. Mm. And and these companies like Securus and GTL of like they're flying around in, in, in private jets and and, and and trading on, you know, on the stock market and investing and making billions of dollars off of suffering. And what, what happens specifically with these phone calls, you know, the average person makes $25, $30 a month in prison, right? And you usually you'll spend on hygiene products, you get your coffee, uh, you know, you know, whatever, some stamps. But but your family carries that burden. And so usually the families don't have the resources to pay. They even charge you when your family sends you a money order. They take a cut off that. They take a cut off of everything. And then they give kickbacks to the prisons. Yeah. So prisoners say, well, you guys can come in and provide phone calls. Uh, and I get a $50,000 a month kickback from the company. Of course they do it. And, you know, and they lobby to politicians. And so now it's like, oh, we got to keep the beds filled. This is a business now. I want to stay in power. We got to keep the beds filled and we making money, um, but it's tearing up our communities. If I had a dude here from the the private prison industry, there's no way that they could come up with any sort of logic for why it's so expensive to make those phone calls. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just right. Yeah, and I've I've sat down with some of them. They they can't can't come up with any logic on it. Um, And there has been discussions for them to reduce to reduce the prices. Uh, there's some organizations who I've worked with in the past, uh, Worth Rises, who who tears them apart. Uh, my my homegirl, Bianca Talek, she she uh, calls them on everything. She looks at the numbers. She looks at the investments. Uh, and I also work with a, a company that doesn't charge, that provides educational uh, tablets for folks incarcerated. It's mm. called APDS. It's called so, what? APDS. Okay. So it's a national company. And they go in and, and provide educational opportunities uh, and, and therapeutic modules, TED Talks, and all kinds of stuff that are on these tablets, and it's at no cost uh, to the folks incarcerated. And the goal is, you know, your rehabilitation should start when you get incarcerated. Uh-huh. And we want people coming home, being job ready, That's right. having having uh, went through some therapy. And that was that was key for me when I went into prison. I was lost my first two years, and then I started thinking. I said, I was I was on the chess team, and I was. I was beating 50-year-old men in chess and I played the cello and I could read a 300-page book in like two days and remember like most of it. Like I'm going to prove that my life is redeemable and that I can get out and do something with my life. And so I started, my, my mindset changed and I started looking at what's available around here. So there was like, we got anger management group, we got drug treatment groups, we, we, have, we have a college program. And so I said, all right, I'm going to just start there. And I just started doing that. I started opening up in group. And I came home a better person. And the reason why this is important is because as taxpayer and citizens, we pay for people to be incarcerated. People can go to prison and they can, they can sit around and think about like how they can do it better or how they can make more money. Or they can think about how, how can I uh, come up with some better skills? How can I go to therapy to make myself become a better person so I can come home and take care of my children? I think this is the, the, the best return for taxpaying dollars, hands down. But why, but why don't we do it? Because we're all about punishment. We just I, want to punish you. I, I, I'm I'm really interested in like you said you you kind of can't you you spent a couple of years there you felt lost and then you yeah. kind of came to this conclusion and I'm really really fascinated and interested in 
you know, was there an acute situation? Was there a set yeah. of circles? Like what, what made, and I really, if we could, I also want to just kind of go back and yeah, talk about absolutely. like kind of your journey up until that point. Yeah. But, but just because we're there now, like, yeah. w- like, was there one sort of acute thing that you said, yeah. you know what, man, like I gotta, yes. You know, what, and what was that? So like I, I just said, I knew that I had this potential in me. I knew that I was a good person. And, but I had a life sentence. And in the state of Maryland, usually when you get a natural life sentence, you grow old and you die there. That's right. So when I came out, I would come out in the rec room, I would smoke my weed and stay out the window. And there was another guy in my housing unit, about a year older than me, he had life. His name was Steven Edwards. And he would come out and he would have a big stack of computer books and, and blank sheets of paper. And he would just write code. People, people looking at Jerry Springer, people smoking weed, people getting tattoos, people doing push-ups in, in the day room. And he was just studying. And I went over one day and I says, what you working on? And he shut the book. I was probably being too nosy. And he says, I'm teaching myself computer programming and I'm going to start a software company one day. I'm going to make millions of dollars. I'm going to buy my dream car. Jeez. This is how I'm going to get out of prison. This is how I'm going to pay it forward. He had life. And he had life. And, I, and at first I laughed. I was like, dude, man, you don't even have a computer. How are you going to pull this off? And he says, look around. So I'm looking around, it's all this madness, all this screaming and all this stuff going on. He says, no one can take away knowledge that we put in our minds. He says, this is how I'm going to get out. And he packed up his books and he just walked off. And I was like, that's what I need to do. So I locked myself in my cell for three days and I just was writing down, who do I want to be? Who would I be? I was 19 at this this point. Who, Who would I be at the age of 40? I knew I was an entrepreneur. I knew I could read really well. Um, I wanted to learn Spanish. I wanted to buy my dream car, a black Corvette convertible with nice rims and a sound system. I wanted to travel to certain places. I wanted to write a book one day. So I wrote all this stuff up and I sent it to my grandmother. Goals, 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 just goals, just goals. Goals. Okay. And then I sent a copy to my judge. And so these were my, these were my accountability partners. This is the beginning of the the beginning. This is the beginning of the plan. I put it out there. I sent it to you. So, you know, I'm a man of my word and, and I sent it to my grandmother. We all listen to grandmas. And so whenever I would write to the courts, I would say, here's my update for the year. Whenever I would write to my, my grandmother or was lucky enough to get her on the phone, she would say, how's it going, Chris? You, you, you get your high school diploma? It's like, yep, I got it. So, so, so college is next, right? That's what you said. And it's like, I got you, grandma. Mm. And so, and, and, I, and I did that for a but decade. Chris, your journey is, is, is you know, unique, inspiring, uh, and singular. It's the most powerful thing you can do as a human being is change. Right. But it means you got to strip out a whole bunch yeah. of shit. And it or hurts. You strip it out. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then you're empty. There's yeah. nothing. Then you got to start filling it with the positive. How, how do you do that? How did you have that discipline? What were the trials and tribulations yeah. sort of in that process? I think at the, at the point of the age of 17 and... Uh, my my dad my dad was killed for no reason. My brother was shot. Had lost five of my friends, two who died in my arms, calling for their moms. And I'm 17. I have a life sentence. What, what were the circumstances? What, 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 how would you explain? Were they straight bullets? Were they straight bullets with it? Or, or a beef like neighborhood? Like in our neighborhood, like uh, opposing neighborhood, they come through. You outside, you getting it. Even if they looking for someone else, it's your neighborhood. So we just shoot you. And so I've lost friends for this. Stray bullets like hit my neighbor and just my neighbor died. And it's just my grandmother and people in my neighborhood would say, that's just the hood. So just get up and go to school. It's going to be okay. But like I'm in school staring out the window. 
I'm on I'm on the swivel. I'm looking and this, around. This started this sort of started with the murder of your father? Yeah. I mean, this it started before that. My cousin, my cousin was my cousin was killed in front of my house. My brother was shot seven Did, times in front of the house. He lived, he survived. But but this started to become normal. And this was late eighties, early nineties when it was just, every you go into a funeral every two months. Right. And, and every time you see the homies in the neighborhood, it's like, yeah, you know, what's the name got shot? Or what's the name got killed? Yeah. And it just became this thing where you, as a young person, myself, I just was very desensitized. It was almost like we were in the military and it's like, you, we, we got to carry guns and we got to, you know, people get killed all the time. Like, that's what happens. And that's not normal. That's, that's not normal. And, you know, once I got that life sentence and I spent 117 days in, in solitary confinement and, and, and it broke me. And I kept thinking about the, the, the rare moments of when my mom gave me like positive, like, uh, you know, or try to like motivate me or my school counselors or some of my school teachers. And my mom used to tell me, well, if you, if you out here breaking law or whatever, at least be good at it. Mm. She was like, you ain't even good at it. Mm. And so being in solitary confinement, was like, I can't do this no more. And all my friends I are dying. I can't do what no more? I can't run with the wrong crew. I can't, uh, you know, carry guns. I can't, I just don't want to live like, it don't work for me. And I didn't, I didn't see a future for myself. And it was it was in solitary confinement where I was just like, I just got to really figure out how to do something different with my life. But I, I, I was thinking this, but I just didn't know how to do it. You, how long were you in solitary confinement? 117 days. And can you just, can, why, why, why were you put in solitary? Just when, when I got sentenced, they felt like, you know, it was, I don't know, you get, you get a life sentence. It's almost like it's, it's like you get leprosy. And it's like yeah. you got to. You got to be taken away out of a general population, and you could be a danger to others, and you could just be a danger to yourself. Yeah, just because like, what you because... got to live for, what you and, got and, to worry about. You're never going home, so they worry about you, so they just put you in solitary. And when that judgment came down, when like how how you you, you heard that in court, yeah, like what what what, what it devastated it, me. Can, can I, you describe it, it? I went back to my cell. It was a very old cell too. It was like a dungeon, and I cried the hardest I ever cried. And and I didn't cry when I was sentenced. But I went in my cell and I cried and I just kept thinking, I didn't even have a mustache on my face. I was 118 pounds. I was like, how is my life Kid. over? And these people came after me, by the way. These people who were stalking my family came after me. You know, they, 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 they killed my cousin. They shot my brother. They came after me. I did everything I can do like to avoid this. They, they were following me. I went to the gas station. There was people at the gas station. I asked one person at the pump. I was like, you think you give me a ride down the street? Like, no, nah, no, nah, I can't give you a ride. And I'm just like, well, maybe they won't do anything. Because it's all these people out here, and they still came after me. Can you? I mean, that's a lot. I know, man. But can you? Yeah. Can you? Can you describe me the circumstances yeah. of that, or your crime, and like, and what? Yeah. What, what that was about. So you know. So it was these people from the neighborhood. It was which neighborhood was? Yeah. Coming so after so me? I was at my mom's. My mom. I'll back up. My mom was dating a police officer, uh, and had a had a child by my little brother. Uh, and he was a DC police officer, but he was like, he was like Denzel Washington training day, like real smooth, ex-Marine, handsome, but he was setting people up. Mm. You know, he, he was doing all kinds of stuff, mm. you know, uh, planting guns, mm. cheating on my mom, beating her up. Mm. And so my mom decided that she didn't want to see him anymore. So one day he comes over, he takes out a service weapon, he smacks me with it, knocks me unconscious. How old are you? 15, 14. Mm -hmm. Knocks me unconscious. I come to. He's raping my mom in front of me. Oh, he man. takes his gun in his fist and he bashes her skull in. Mm. Broke her orbital bone on her face. And, but she survived. We survived. I drove my mom to the hospital. And even when I drove my mom to the hospital, the police treated my mom like shit. They said, you just going to go back to him. That You deserve it or whatever. And he, was, he lost his job. 
But he lost his job. He pled down to a lesser offense. He was back on the streets in like 18 months. And it was no law against stalking back then. So he was on some some Robert De Niro Cape Fear shit. So he was coming through. He was sitting in front of our house. He was calling. One by one, I'm going to take you guys out. One by one, I'm going to take you guys out. So then my brother gets shot seven times. Oh they shoot my cousin. And they keep calling, you next, you next. So I'm, I'm young, but I'm, I got to carry. I got to start. Even my sister, who was in school, straight A student, she was like, I got to carry too. And that's what we were doing. My mother never recovered from, from this attack. She and Plus she's lost. I mean, your dad, you've lost your dad yeah. too. Yeah. My mother never recovered and they, they overprescribed her a prescription pill. So she became addicted to the, to the Oxycontin pills. And when she couldn't renew her prescription, she started using heroin. So my mom spiraled downhill. So we on our own. We got eviction notice on the house. The water's off, gas off. We juggling stuff. And so I'm like, I'm carrying. And so one night, I'm out front. I see two guys. I know they don't live in my neighborhood. I'm at my mom's house in Maryland. I was like, I, 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 these might be some dudes. Let me, let me walk in a different... Let me see if they follow me. Let me get away from here, whatever. And so I was walking to the store or something like that. And so they kept following me. So I said... They might be following me, so so let me go to this gas station where there's a bunch of people out there. And then they came up to me and they said, you Chris, right? We've been watching you, watching your family, and don't think that you're safe. And one of the guys tried to jump on me, and I just fired my gun. And then they ran, and then I ran, and then I found out two weeks later that I took one of, uh, one of their lives. And I got sentenced, uh, found guilty, and sentenced to natural life in prison for that. And, and I'm not saying that I didn't deserve to go to prison because I took a person's life, but I didn't, I didn't come after these people. These people came after me. And, and what would have happened to me? And so I, I, I deserve to do my time, but I didn't deserve to have life in prison. They just threw me away. And so that, that's what happened. And then my mom uh, suffered and suffered uh, from depression and, and addiction my whole time in prison. Uh, and at a certain point, when I had turned my life around, got my sentence reduced for, for amazing behavior and all the things that I'd done in prison and taught myself five languages and earned my college degree and did all this, became a mentor in the prison. And the judge said, I'll give you a second chance to get out, to live your life. But you wrote this master plan and you said all these things you want to do. You want to travel the world. You want to start a business and you want to write a book and buy your dream car. You got to do everything on the mm. list. And I'm going to be watching you. Mm. And so I ended up serving 16 and a half years. And so I came home and I went to D.C. And as soon as I got to D.C., it was just like, yeah, let me, it was like, oh, that'll be $25. And I was like, where's such and such? And I saw the cranes up and my family was like, oh, this the new D.C. It's over. And I said, I think I want to go to Baltimore and go to business school. And it was like, why would you do that? And so I moved to Baltimore. And my mom found out that I was home. And so she called me on my $10 phone from Radio Shack. And she was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that you got out. Like, how'd you get out? I thought you had life. Did you break out? Like, I don't understand. I said, I, I turned my life around. Mom, I'm, I'm in business school. I got this plan. She says, you sound different. I said, Mom, I'm 32. And then she started acting strange. She says, you know, it's just some things I want you to remember. I was like, what? She says, remember, like, how intelligent you are. Mm -hmm. And remember, like, to stick to your plan. And remember that I love you. And I was like, all right. She's like, Chris, remember that I love you. And I was like, all right, Mom, you don't speak a phone. Like, what's going on? And when she hung the phone up, my mom wrote a letter and she committed suicide. So she never even seen me as a free person. And so I, I obviously I was devastated because I had just I worked I worked my ass off to get home and to prove my mom right and to do good in my community. And I lost the person that was closest to me. And I was I was devastated. And I at a, at a certain point, I turned that pain 
and to the drive. And that's why yeah. I get out the bed in the morning. That's, that's why people say, man, I don't know like how you do it or, or, or why I would, I would get the phone call yesterday and jump on a plane, uh, a red eye plane and, and, and work and, and why I helped over 300 people in Baltimore City get jobs. I work my ass off because I want to honor my mom. I don't want to honor my grandfather. And I don't want to be defi defined by a crime that I committed. And that's so right. like, that's what's driving me. Mm. I got agency over myself. Mm. And yeah, that's that's what's driving me. Like that's that's Chris, the master why, plan. Like what, I don't know whether, I mean, I'm sure you've thought about it. I'm sure there's no answer to it, but what do you think? What do you think knowing that you were out was it what, what what do you think was driving your mom like what is she writing the note like what, she i put some of it in my book but she told me and i have all my mom's journals now so i over the years i've, I've built up the confidence to read them and my mom it was, it was weird like i love my mom i was a mama's boy and now i'm now I'm a painter so i make paintings about my relationship with my mom and, and, and these paintings hang all around the world and what my mom was writing about i guess what she was trying to tell me she felt like she failed me as a mother. My mom went to a good school. She bought her first house at 19. We, we had a swimming pool. We had, you know, all the nice cool cars and cool friends and stuff out in Prince George's County. Uh, and she met this guy who destroyed her mm. and destroyed our family. Mm. Uh, and she felt like she failed us. And she just said that the, she couldn't deal with the pain. She couldn't, she couldn't overcome the addiction. And really, like her using all the drugs, she just kept saying she just don't want to feel pain anymore. And she was like, I'm sorry to do this, but I just I can't be anymore. Do, do you think part of her felt hearing your voice and hearing in this place that, I was that, safe. You, that you were safe and that safe. you were good and that you had found yeah. this thing that she always knew you yeah. had? She always knew right. you were special and smart and yeah. gifted. The fact that you were on that path, she felt now it's, yeah. it, it would, do you think that that might've been it? Exactly. Some part yeah. of it. Cause, cause, cause in her journals, it's, it's, it's so me, I have like a big duffel of like all these letters and she was all these ideas. Maybe if I can talk to this lawyer, maybe if I can do this, or maybe like all kinds of ways of like, how can I, help? how can I get constant. my baby out? Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and, and then I was home and it's like, I'm in business school. I'm a straight A student mm. and I'm about to start my first mm. company. And I'm wearing suits and mm. I just learned how to tie a tie to Windsor knot by, mm. you know, watching YouTube videos. Mm. And she was like, you just sound different. You, mm. you sound like I said, I'm 30, I'm grown. Mm. And she was like, I'm, I'm proud of you. But what I didn't know is she, she was hurting. And, you know, my mom had remarried when I was incarcerated. And this person who became her rock, his name was Dan, and he was helping my mom get off with a heroin, and I think they switched her to methadone. Mm -hmm. And I don't know much about methadone, but my mom was transitioning off the methadone. He was had my mom in therapy. They had got a house together. Uh, and for some reason, my mom had put the methadone in some orange juice in the basement, in the refrigerator. And so Dan's cleaning up the basement, and he pours uh, a cup of like orange juice for whatever reason and dies. And this was this was my mom's rock. This was right before I came home. I came home a, 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 like two months later, and she came home and she found her rock dead. It destroyed her. Like that was it. And so she, I, I imagine she made her mind up already at that point that it was over. But when I had made it home, she was just like, "I can't deal with all this anymore. It's too, the, the world's too, too, too rough for me." And um, it, it was it was devastating. And I, I when I, I was on um the Trevor Noah show uh, a while ago and I, I was talking to him and one of the things he asked me about, about this, he says, what do you, what do you think should have been different in that time in, in your life? Like you about to come home and your mom 
And what I responded, and I still feel this way, is I wish my mom would have got some help. And even, even when I was young and my mom was being beat up by this police all the time, I would call the police. I would tell my school counselors. People would say, just mind your business. Just don't do anything. And I think our systems in America, we, we fail people so many times. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's heartbreaking when I, when I see young people do something stupid and, and, and take a person's life and get sentenced to, to 100 years. And all of the news, they call these young people monsters. Yeah. But I think about how many times that we fail these young people growing yeah. up, foster home or, or be, being bullied in school. And it's like, we just, we just res- respond to stuff. We don't put stuff in place right. to help people. And That's so right. it, it's something, it's, a, it's a, painful, a, a painful thing in my life. Um, but I've, I've turned it into motivation. Yeah. And so now, now I'm just, I'm helping other people. And, and when I come, when I come to LA, like my homie, I don't know if you know Scott Butnick's my yeah, homie. So when I'm hanging with Scott or if I'm hanging with other folks in, in, in other cities and we go into these so-called like tough neighborhoods, maybe they are tough, right. but, but the people are, are good people. Yeah. And when I meet these people, it's not really like the, the toughness, like that's like a defense mechanism. Yeah. A lot of people I meet, it's pain in there. It's trauma. Of course. That that was that's how I turned my life around. I had I had pain in my heart, and I had to figure out how to deal with it and how to move forward. When when you, when you talk about that thing that you see, that pain or that trauma, I imagine at some point in this process of you, this 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 sort of miraculous. I mean, as a super young man, yeah, you know, you, you know, nineteen years old, eight, you know, to, to to make this shift and then start yeah. working and then. Again, what you said, I understand. I understand taking the pain and using that as fuel to learn these languages. You're yeah. an artist. You're a writer. You're an entrepreneur. You've done all these things. You've had all these amazing. At some point in there, I heard you say it: serving others, helping others, yeah. is also a fuel. Was there a specific moment where you you encountered kind of like service? Yeah. And, and and at first it was sort of about yourself, yes. And then serving others, yeah, that resonated. So it was. I, I did a vocational shop training in prison, and it was supposed to take two years, and I did it. In like 13 months. And I just just worked my ass off. I learned how to build and do all kinds of stuff. And I graduated. No one showed up for my graduation. I was I was sad about it, but I was proud to walk across the stage. And when I when I sat back down in my housing unit, one of my mentors was like, I was I was happy. I was like, I did it in 13 months. And it's this. And he says, You know, things don't always gotta be about you. The world's bigger than you. And he says, what about the other people? Look around, what about these other people out here? What if you, what if you have, like you learn how to do math and, and, and learned all these things. Like, what about, your, what about your people? And I said, I don't know them. They ain't from my neighborhood. I'm, f- I'm from Northeast. Like they, I, I don't know, like that's on them. And he says, imagine if the things that you learn, you, you help them. And I just started thinking about mm. it. And I had been denied reconsideration for my sentence at this point for about, about five times. So although I was doing good, there was no rhythm for me. Like they wasn't like, nah, you, you get a date. So I was like, maybe I'll never go home. So I said, you know what? I got up like the next day, I started doing workshops, started taking brothers, like tough brothers, like breaking down quadratic equations on the dry erase board. I started a book club and started including other people in. And one of the things I learned, this is one of the most powerful uh, lessons I learned is when you be of service to others, the blessings come back to you tenfold. Straight up. Tenfold. And I go into prisons now and through my foundation and I started this program where we go, like we're here in California, we go in and we walk people through this course. And so I, I go into Rikers. I started in Rikers Island. So I was going into Rikers Island and even the correctional officers would say, you sure you want to go into housing? You can talk to them through the gate. I'm like, pop the gate. 
And, and, and he, you know, these, these brothers would be like, why are you coming? Who are you? I don't know. Why are you coming up in here? And I would sit down and start talking to them and, and telling them what I've been through. And then they started realizing, oh, you, you've been through stuff that we've been through and, and, and you made it out. And like, what's, what's the next move or like, what should I do? So I started to build trust with folks, but you know, it was really important for me, uh, to, to understand that success for individuals is all relative. And so I don't, I, you know, I would have to remind people, don't look at what I've done and say, well, you know, I can't, I can't do all this stuff or whatever. So I might, might as well not try. And cause I, you know, I count a lot of people who, who talk about this. It could be, you know, there was this one guy in Rikers, like you've been here six times and you got three children. Maybe success would be you never coming back and you getting the job and vacationing to your favorite spot with your boo once a year. That's success. And he's like, hell yeah. And I was like, so define it that way. And, and what I do, what my mission in life is, when I say being of active service, I feel like I have a gift where I can help people find this switch, that agency of themselves, and kind of think about doing something different with their lives. And it ain't going to help everyone. Like, you know, some I was in Southside Chicago uh, not long ago, and it was a guy they wanted me to talk to who was in the gang. He had just had his leg blown off, and he was in a wheelchair. He was back. Uh, back on the block a few weeks later, back back hustling. And it was like, just go talk to him. And, and, and I was talking to this young brother and he was like, you know, he was crying. He said, bro, like, man, I have mad respect for you for, for doing all the things you that you did, but, but it ain't me. I don't got it in me. I can't do it. And I said, bro, like, even just think about, and even while I'm out here talking to him, they like, get down, get down. I might be there. I'm like, cars coming by. I'm like, I probably shouldn't even have been out there. But I said, I said, bro, this ain't even a good move. If they spin the block, which you you can't get away. And I was like, well, what you carrying? He had like a gun with like four bullets in it. And I was like, you you gotta think, bro. Like this ain't the small moves. Like, what should I do? It's like start with something, something different. And maybe it's, you know, surrounding yourself with some different people. You can still be with the homies and dap them up, but like do something different. And he was just like, I just don't think I can. And so it's a matter of just helping people find that agency or the belief that so like I could do something different. Like, do you go back? Like what do you do? Like what do you do? Like do you, do do you feel like just some people? It, it's just I mean it's just not going to happen. I, I think it's I think it's important for people to be able to see and meet people that have been there and done it for sure. And it's one of the reasons why I didn't go back to my old neighborhood in Washington D.C. I needed a fresh start, and it was tough. I, I started surrounding myself with people that were very different, doing different things than I was used to. And it was uncomfortable at first. And, you know, I was thinking about when I was younger and I used to, when I was in therapy, I used to say, I can't trust anyone. Well, the problem was I was trusting the wrong people. Now I got a, plenty of people that I trust. And, and, and I talk about different stuff and I share books with folks and we travel and go on vacation and do different things. But the challenge is a lot of people, you know, I, I talk about the, the figurative Plato's allegory to cave in my book. And I speak about this often. And it's just this cave of, we grow up with this perspective. It's just my hood. It's just my neighborhood. That's all I know. That's how my. That's how I grew up. And it's all this. But there's a big world out there. Mm. It might be scary mm. to, to to make that path to get out mm. the cave. But once you get out there and see how beautiful it is, you don't go back in there. But yeah. how do we help people see it though? Straight up. Yeah, it's beautiful. Because, because until you turn away from those shadows on that yeah. cave and go step out into that world, you're never going to see it. And all yeah. you can do is be like my my. Like, brother, please just turn around. Please yeah. take a step. Like, like, just take a step, see how yeah. it feels. Can you for that, and, and just, strange, this is the third time in this week that that's come up for me. Yeah. Like, can, can you just, can you, for people who don't know, can you just kind of like walk through 
that 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 allegory yeah. and like kind of why it's yeah. important in this situation. Yeah. So when when I was young, I read uh, an illustrated version of Plato's allegory, The Cave. I used to get in trouble for for crossing the, the four street. Uh, the four lane highway on East Capitol Street to go mm-hmm. to the library to read about dinosaurs and, and they would read to us. So I would get books from there. And when they started shooting outside, my grandmother had a rule. We either get in the bathtub or we had to get on the floor. So one night I got on the floor and I read this, this story and it was just a bunch of prisoners. On the floor when they were shooting. When they were shooting. Curled up in my blanket and we were used to it. Bullets just binging and, and, and zipping through the house and I would just read it. And it was these prisoners in this version, like as far as the eye can see. And they were, they were shackled and kneeling and handcuffed. And there was a fire behind them to keep them warm. But this fire would cast these shadows on the walls in front of them. And they made this game of trying to identify characters. Uh, and in the version that I read, one character, uh, one prisoner was like, I got to get out of here. So he, he starved himself. And one night he was able to slip out his chains and he made it outside of the cave. And once he got out, he, start, it was, he saw vibrant colors for the first time in his life. He saw green grass. He saw birds flying, children playing. The air was fresh. He heard water rushing in the stream. And then he stirred out further and saw clouds and the sun. And it was beautiful, so beautiful, he started crying. And he says, you know, how could all of this exist? And then his friends wake up back down in the cave. And they're laughing at the shadows. And at first he laughs. And then he stops and he says, I can't believe they think that's real down there. Like, this is the real world. And he says, oh, well, I made it out. And then the guard spots him and he says, what the hell are you doing outside of the cave? Please don't put me back down there. I can't go back in the cave. Just give me a chance. And the guard says, no, you got to go back down there in the cave because that's where you people belong. Down there in the cave, not out here with us. And so they lock him back up and they put him back in the cave. And when he's back down there, the rest of the prisoners, they laugh at him and they tease him. They say, you thought you was better than us and tried to buck the system. No one else escapes the cave. This is our cave. All we got is us. And when I finished this story as a young child, and I continue to read it and talk about it, it made me think about my neighborhood. We had all these crazy rules in my neighborhood. And I wasn't even in a gang or anything in my neighborhood. They said, if they come through and they start shooting and you run and you leave someone behind in our neighborhood, we killing you. If you leave and we can't find you, we kill one of your family members. All of these things, and it made me think about Plato's allegory to cave. All of these, these neighborhoods, people think that it's real and that this is all they have. And we got this whole world out here that's beautiful. And, and, and my challenge is, or like the mission is, how do I show them that it's real? Mm. How do I show them that they do have the power to get out of the cave and see something beautiful? Mm. And so that's my mission in life. That's why I think I've been blessed. That's why I think some of those bullets have missed me. I had, I've had attempts against my life since I've been home. And it's like, how did I survive that? And I think this is this is my mission. Why is that? Why have you had attempts against you? Just Baltimore. Like you, yeah, you rode yeah. through nice car, whatever. Yeah. Someone tried to take it from yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, I know that. So this, initially, even when I was in prison, and especially when I was young, I always thought, and I was like, this ain't like the right move. But you want to fit in. We all want to belong yeah. uh, to, to 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 some group of people or something. And I think over time while in prison, we had like these games that we would play. It's like, I want to get my high school diploma. My mentor would come out and say, I'm going to give you a problem, math problem, and I'm going to time you. And you're going to beat the time and, and solve the problem. And if you can't do it, then you got to drink a cup of water or you got to get the floor pregnant and do 25 push-ups. So I would, I, and I was small too, so I ended up putting on like 30 pounds of muscles, like all this, all this studying. And, and the homies who were like, you know, in, in gangs and like hustling in the prison, they would laugh or they'd just be like, man, what y'all over there doing? And then sometimes they'd huddle up 
just to see if I can get the problem right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then next thing you know, these same guys will come over and say, hey, 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 yo, you think you can um like teach me the quadratic equation or like help me with this essay? I'm like, yeah, 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 I got you. He's like, you, you sure? It's like, they be all, you know, all like shy, like all people say, yeah, it's like, yeah. come on, sit down. And yeah. next thing you know, it's five people, it's yeah. 12, 17. Yeah. And then I've seen, I've seen dozens of these brothers who, who we mentored in prison. I seen them just change, come back in the housing unit and like flip a table, like I passed my GED. Wow. And get their sentence reduced Beautiful. and come home. And I see them around Baltimore now, like they're all fat, they got families and shit. <laughs> but like I hug them up at the stoplights and Fuck stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's, but it's beautiful. And I, I, I don't think, I don't think, I, I get asked this because I advocate uh, for prison reform often, um, and that's also a mission of my life. I, I don't think prisons should be abolished only because I've seen evil, especially in prison. I've seen it in the streets, and it's like evil that I can't explain, but I know that it exists. But I do feel like the way our prisons operate should be very different, should be very different. How and would you change it? So I think that should be as soon as you incarcerated, your your ninety five percent of people who are incarcerated come home from prison. Mm -hmm. So if you come at home, we want a safer, more uh, intelligent yep. person coming back to society. Yep. So all right, you you got twenty years, you need to come up with a, a plan. What's going to be your career? With like, here's some options for you. Whatever you know, you need to be participate in therapy. When I was in prison, therapy was mandatory for us. We couldn't be we couldn't be there uh, without going to therapy. So that that should be. Um, um, part of it and then family support or some type of communication to keep you i've seen people go to prison uh and and just lose themselves stab people spend time in solitary confinement like all of this stuff like i think keeping it people keeping in mind that they are going to return home and they are going to be different and then they have agency over themselves is important and then the re-entry process i wrote about this in my book i had done everything in prison uh, you know, college degree, done all these things. And then when I came home, they made it so difficult yeah. for me to, to reacclimate to society. Yeah. And, and, and that's what we do. And it's like, we, we shouldn't do that. Someone's 10 minutes late because they couldn't show up to their parole office officer and they go back to prison. Or if someone has a drug problem and they say, all right, we send you back to prison for 10 years. Put them in treatment. Yeah. What are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing? So I don't understand it. And so that's what I think um, we should change. I think that's the solution. You know, I'm just meeting you today. And nah, it's a no, real yeah. honor. But, yeah, yeah, but nah. like, you know, for me, what I think about, you know, the, just, just some facts that you told me in your life, yeah. you know, lost your pops to gun. And I, I remember, I mean, look, man, for me, it was, you know, even in my corner of D.C., you know, I remember all these kids got shot up when I was walking to, to, to the subway by Wilson. Like yeah, 12 kids yeah. got shot up. They talked about it, about Columbine, but I was like, that's a school shooting. Like, yeah. and that was just some like, you know, like it was yeah. all over DC. Like, but you're, you were in the heart of it. It affects yeah. your family. You said your cousin, your brother, your, your, right. Yeah. Like all, do you feel like you've encountered people who are actually evil or yeah. just so, or they're just so sort of enveloped and taken over by their trauma? I, I, I think that there's real evil. I, I've seen people who just, I, I've known people, I've met people who just any life around them, it was just, just that dangerous that they would snuff it out. Killed like multiple people. And and even when I was in prison, we had like a, a, a wing uh, in, our, in our prison that was like the most dangerous people. I started a business, a camera business. And so I would sometimes like have to deliver um, pictures to folks on, on that side. And there were people who, if they got out of their restraints, 
they would they would kill anything close to them. And even when they couldn't get to people, they would kill birds. I've been in the Middle East recently and seen attacks where people just pulled out rifles and just kill little kids. Now you could be hurting, and I'm sure like folks uh, could uh, has experienced significant trauma, but it's just certain stuff. Like you know, you you raping a, a small child, and like I've I've heard stories. I did a victims impact group, uh, and this was something that really like made me understand what remorse was. And I write about this a little bit. This woman came to see me. We had to do group with victims of crimes. So this lady came in, uh, and we had to do therapy with her. And she says she showed me a picture one day. She says, "What do you think about this woman right here?" I said she she's pretty. She, we pass it around. She says it's my daughter. She said some guys thought she was pretty too. And they grabbed her off the school bus and they took her in the woods and they raped her and then they stabbed her like 40 something times. And then they chopped her body up and set her on fire. They said, these guys killed my baby and they were monsters just like you guys. And I remember how I felt when she said that. How'd you feel? And I was like, I, I felt like I wasn't a monster. And I said, I can't believe that's how, this is how people gonna look at me that I'm a monster. But when I went back to my housing unit, like two or three guys from my group was like, fuck that. I would have done the same thing. Fuck her, something, something, something. And I was like, you serious? I mean, saying they would have done what- but Yeah, they would have done the same thing. And you think that's real? You think that's dealing with some- I don't know what other- it is. And I'm not saying that's everyone. I'm just saying I, I've seen, and I've seen evil, and I witnessed it, and I just, I just don't, I can't Chris, explain it. I, you know, bro, I just, I just think it's so important what you're saying. I hate to like harp on it, but I think it's important, man, because I think in this like age where everything is so fucking polarized, yeah, it's like you can, you can say we still need prison and be, be, be stridently and 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 full throatedly about prison reform. Right, both things can be true. You can say, hey, look, man, there are some people, and you, and like, who knows fucking better. Yeah. It's just that we're listening to the wrong people. Who knows better about prison reform than someone who's not only changed his entire life through the prison system, but but now you've developed this not only incredible life for yourself, but you've touched so many others and, yeah. and, 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 and achieved this remarkable success. Who better to speak about it? But also, yeah. who better to speak about also saying, hey, there are some cats that need to be locked away from society. And that's just, and I think the problem with a yeah. lot of these conversations is that everybody has to say, I'm on one side or the yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, yeah, and, I mean, some of the folks that I that I was around and and the things that I witnessed, it's just not safe for anyone with these type of people. And like, yes, maybe there's some some internal stuff, like some trauma. Well, well, maybe they should be away somewhere and unpack that stuff. But that's not what prison don't like. They don't like. They just put you in and say, all right. You guys are the most dangerous. Let's pack all y'all in there, or just put you in. It's solitary. just gonna exasperate yeah. any problem. Yeah. That we'll that's never... gonna make them worse. But 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 I think the thing that you're also saying, and 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 I, let me ask you, yeah. uh, the vast vast majority of the folks that are that that are put away are not monsters, right? Are of people course, that yeah. Have been in a situation, and then again, not to explain or to 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 explain away the crime, like you said, you may you do the crime. You gotta do the time, yeah, yeah. But the victims also of circumstance, of trauma, of of neglect, totally. of all these other things. Totally, one hundred percent. And I, I think that's majority of the people, especially the, especially the 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 most like dangerous people. Like I I I met this guy and he he was he had uh he was locked up for for eight rapes, and I had a cordial relationship with him. I was the camera guy. I was taking pictures and stuff, and I was like I just felt comfortable. And I said, bro, like seemed like a like a, a handsome dude, like. What you fuck you doing what you, all what that you, for? What you, what you, what you, what you raping women for? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he says, the only way he said, I don't, I don't. Only way I can have sex with a woman is if I take it from her. Huh. 
I said, what happened to you, man? Yeah. And he was like, you know, I don't want to talk about it, but that's just how it is. And then years later, he was like, he, he was molested and like sexually abused, like growing up. And I was like, why didn't he get some help for this? But like, this is, this is the type of stuff that's happening. And like our society will say, all right, well, we're going to just lock you up forever. But it's like, they don't, they don't get help. Yeah. And it's like, I, you know, I, I don't know how you solve that. I don't yeah. know what you do, but yeah. that's, he was like, that's the only way, like I'm, I'm raping first chance I get. And I'm just like, bro. Yeah. You gotta unpack that. You gotta talk to someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either way, whether yeah. you're out or in. And so, 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 let me ask you this, man. Like, what would you? And I'm sure you've been asked this before. But, 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 take yourself back. You know, what would you say to yourself at 12? What would you say to yourself at 15? What would you say to yourself? And like, would the yeah. would the 17 year old you, you know, listen to the the 44 yeah. year old you? Like, what? Like, what? what I how, like this question. How it's, would that conversation go? It's one of the exercises in my, my master plan workbook too. Uh, it's, it's honestly, I, would, I am still an introvert and I'm a very quiet person. Like I, I'll talk, I'll, I'll do an interview and stuff, but I'm usually like alone, I'm usually quiet. I'm in the room. It's like, yeah, he, he don't say much. He's chilling. But I've witnessed a lot. I've had a lot of feelings, especially with my mom and, and stuff that was going on. I wish I had the strength to sit down and talk to someone. I wish I had the strength to go to the school counselor and say, you know, I just saw my homie get killed yesterday. And I can't sleep at night or I have nightmares and like, help me. I'm in therapy now. I've been in therapy my entire incarceration. I've been home now for 10 years. I go to therapy once a week. Uh, and it doesn't make me a broken person, a weak person. It makes me uh, uh, a strong person. Yeah. It helps me understand Working myself better. Yeah. But I, you know, I, we, we need it. We need to be able to unpack stuff. I wish I would have done that when I was young. Mm. All the stuff that I, I was just hurt. And I remember when, when I, you know, my friends would get killed or my cousin got killed, I would just break into like, like, the, the liquor cabinet and just drank a whole bottle like Remy and like had to go to the hospital to get like my stomach pump. I just wanted the pain to go away, but I could have just opened up. People ask me sometimes like, what, like you all right? You want, I'm, I'm good. You know, cause you know, we in the hood, we gotta be tough. Now nah, I'm all right. It's all good. It wasn't. And so I wish that I would just say, look, you know, maybe, maybe the big homie or somebody like homie, I ain't, I ain't really, I ain't really good inside. And I'm, I'm feeling some, I'm having nightmares, you know, sleeping on the floor at night, bullets going through my house. Like, what should I do? Like, what should I like? Instead of just like a, a lot of people, communities, people walking around and what could be considered war zones and just like not talking to no one. It's just like, we got to be strong. We got to get through it. This is just how it is. And like all that stuff builds up. And then one day, maybe, maybe they do snap. Maybe they do end up in prison. Maybe, maybe they do overdose on drugs or kill themselves. So I just wish I would have said something. Mm. Now I do though. Now I'll, I'll call someone quick. Like, Hey, I just need it. I need to talk. Like I, I ain't good, and you know we'll unpack it. But I just wish we were more comfortable doing it. People just like keep stuff bottled up, and I think I and think you, that's and, the problem. And you think that that's something also uh, that's that's also and, and you talk about brain development. That's also yeah. something that just goes hand in hand with being a teenager, especially yeah. a teenage man. I mean, like I, I certainly wasn't trying to hear nothing from anybody, you right. Know what I mean? <laughs> right? But 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 I was definitely in pain. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, and and um. But now you've done so much work with, I imagine, you know, youngsters. Yeah. And, and I imagine, you know, what, what is your way of, I, I, look, I fundamentally believe in what you're talking about, that only those that have been in the Valley can really lift others out yeah. of it, you know, because you, you start like, hey, yeah. man, this is my life. I've been there. So everything yeah. you've been through, I've been through some sort of shade or color of that. Right. But, but what, what is your technique or what is your sort of mindset when you're dealing with, 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 with young men, especially who yeah. are stubborn as fuck and yeah. pretending to be a whole bunch of things that they're not, you know? 
you know, so especially with young people. So I guess what I do is I try to, I don't necessarily assume that they're in the figurative cave, the Plato's allegory of the cave, but, but usually they are, right? So usually I, I will, like with young people, maybe I'll, I'll get them out of their neighborhood. Maybe I'll take them out, show them some stuff. I live in like, you know, nice neighborhood, got nice car, cool people around. We go get some food. And we just talk and just vibe and, you know, share what I've been through. I've been through a lot of stuff. I've been kidnapped. I've been tortured. I lost most of my family. I lost friends, bunch of friends, been to prison, been through a lot of stuff. But I've also done a lot of positive stuff. I also traveled to 27 countries. I also, you know, have a bunch of amazing celebrity friends and I eat good food every day. And, 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 and these are things like young people, we all want like you know, nice, nice sneakers or a nice car and, and be able to travel and do something. Um, and so I, I start by opening up to, to the young folks and try to and just listening, understanding like what they're going through. And the thing about young people and when you're mentoring and talking to young people, you got to be consistent because oftentimes when I was young, when someone would sit down, they'd say, man, you little young punks, you could get a job. You can do anything you want to do. You can start your own business. And then they just leave. Yeah. And I'd be like, I don't know what the, the first fucking thing to do. <laughs> the, I'd like to start a business or, right, right, or, right, or right. write a resume. And so when I'm, when I'm dealing with young people, especially with the young people in my program, I just started this new program in Albany, New York. So it's mostly like everyone's like under like 18. You got to be consistent. So we're showing up every week. I'm, you know, I'm coming in on Zooms and I'm holding them accountable. Like you said, you were going to start by like at least you know, uh, showing up for pre-GD class. Like, you don't got to do no work, but you said you would show up. Mm -hmm. And they show up and it's like, all right, people, young people want to know that you actually do care. And, and this is the job of our parents, but it also takes a village of people for us to be raised and, 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 and you know, navigate like this world. And so I just try to stay consistent. So everyone who goes through our program, even when they graduate, they, graduate, they, they become alumni. We actually pay them too to become facilitators. We train them. They get $50 an hour, which I think is really good. Don't matter what age they are, you're getting 50 sure. an hour. You're going to show up, you're going to do a good job and, and we're going to grow. So I'm, it's, it's not easy. I'm not saying that this is a silver bullet. And sometimes people just ain't ready. Right. They haven't got they hit that they haven't hit their rock bottom. Um, but I hope people don't have to hit rock bottoms like I hit of getting a life sentence or watching some of your family members uh be killed to to have your rock bottom. And so um I hope you know young people can think about you know what their life could be, even if it's bad. Or just think about what their options could be. Uh, talk a little bit about rock bottom, man. Talk about, um, you, you know, that's the moment you change. Like yeah. that's the moment where yeah. you have no other choice. And and it's uh, dangerous though, rock bottom, super... because you can always fall further. And and rock bottom could be just you you overdose and they had to bring you back, and you like I just like my third overdose. It could be something like that, and you just like I gotta really like try something different. I gotta check myself into a place. It could be you getting an extremely long prison sentence. It could be you going through a really bad divorce and losing all your money or something like that. It's it's all relative what rock bottom is. But I think what we need to understand is that we need to understand like how we get out of the from the bottom. How do we what are the what are the first things that we do? What are like I mean, some things are just finding someone uh to to talk to someone like that's positive someone who like knows you understand you and, and it's really not not expecting an answer for them and this is something i learned in therapy which is like strange is even you talking about an experience is healthy because because most people they it's so painful they don't want to talk about it they can't they assume that no one will understand or whatever it's just the act of like 
talking about this, how I felt. And I went through this and it was the most painful moment. Like me having to talk about my mom being sexually assaulted in front of me. It took me like three years in therapy and I cried and it, it was painful. And it was group therapy when I had to do this. And then other people start opening up. Like I remember when I was 14 and this happening. And I remember, you know, people bringing up stuff. And then, then, then we was in a place of like trust where we could just bond and just work. work. I got a call um, two o'clock in the morning. Last night, homie like needed some advice. Just came home and was going through some stuff. It was like, man, you know, I'm thinking about this. I'm like, nah, nah, man. Think about like where you came from. When you're in rock bottom, I think we just have to know, we have to be able to surround ourselves with positive people or have anyone that we can reach out to, even if we don't know them. Just reach out and just yeah. say, you got it, you got a minute yeah. or whatever. Yeah. At least, at least trying that. But also, you know, the, the mindset, and everyone doesn't have like the mindset at, at rock bottom of believing that that they can change. I, I've known people who 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 used to be, you know, addicted to drugs, um, and have beat the addiction. Everyone relapsed, everyone goes through it, whatever. But I have people who who overcame. They started to de develop belief that they could change, that they can do it, and and they surrounded themselves with people that can help them do it. And so this isn't easy work. So I'm not claiming to have a solution to get everyone out of rock bottom. Sometimes people hit rock bottom. My mom was one of them. She couldn't get out of it. I mean, I feel bad about it. I wish, I, I talked to her for five minutes. Yeah. And I was like, I wish, like, what, what did I do? Should I have said something? I, I, I just didn't know. We're not always going to know. Yeah, it's, a, it's a dangerous game to play, man, yeah. that rock bottom thing. You yeah. know, because they're, you, you know, especially if you, you've been there in any way, you, you know there's... If you've hit it, most likely there's you've already been through so many other things where it could have gone either way. Yeah, and it's it, it, you know, and it's um, it's hard to know when it's your last chance, and 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 I, I think probably for the majority of people, yeah, you don't, they don't, I don't think people. I mean, I probably, I mean, I think I knew where my rock bottom was. Just like life center, solitary confinement. People stopped coming to see me. I wasn't getting uh, letters and. I couldn't call home to folks or people would block their phones. And I, I just was at the lowest point in my life. And I was thinking of all kinds of stuff of like, maybe I could just, just end it. I can't suffer for 20 years or, but just like, I just started seeing people that was, that was fighting. And I was just like, I, I, I want to fight. I want to, I want to, I, I think I can do it. Mm. And it was one of those things, especially when I work with people and they may be just coming out of rock bottom. It's not that you shoot for the stars immediately. You take incremental like steps, like you need some wins. So it's like, all right, let's start doing like at least one thing. We're going to stop doing this. We're going to start doing this. Yeah. And let's going to start doing this. So we're going to exercise. And, and maybe we're going to do like, you know, a uh, hundred pushups a day. And we're going to start by doing this. And, and we're going to stop saying this. And, and we're going to write it down. And then once you, you know, you just start building it up and, and your confidence starts to build. And then you're just like, oh, maybe I can do some, maybe I can complete college or, or maybe I'm going to take this trade. Cause, cause now I have this new confidence level and you just help them, help them build it. And I'm always, uh, uh, accountability partners for the folks in my program. And when I go back in Rikers or, um, in other prisons and I tell them, I said, when I, if I see you uptown, I don't care where you at, I'm, I'm gonna ask you about your list and whether or not you got that job yeah, yeah, or, or whatever. If yeah. you, you took that vacation, like yeah. I'm gonna see you, I don't care who you with. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah. So it's yeah. awesome. Yeah. But I love it. It's my and, life's work. I, and, and it must, uh, it, it must be just so unbelievably rewarding to, 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 to see it in action. Yeah. And, to see, and, and, and can you, I mean, like kind of where you're at now, I mean, 
can you just sort of describe, I, I mean, I'd love for you to talk about the book yeah. a, a little bit and, and the, but, but just how does it feel, man, to be kind of like where you are now? Like, it, it, is it surreal? Is it like, like, how does it, how, you know, I mean, it's the best feeling in the world. And, can, I, I, and I'm not just saying this. I think about freedom every single day. Mm. It is so beautiful to me. Mm. You know, last week I got a call. And, and my whole, uh, I was in Baltimore, my whole uh, block got surrounded. Secret Service knocked on my door and they was like, you know, they searched my house or whatever. So like, you got a visitor, something, something like the daughter of the president of the United States, like showed up to my house and wanted to do a studio visit. And they was like, do you got food in the house? And I'm like, of course I got food, whatever. Shows up and I'm like, my neighbor's like, oh my God, do you, do, do you need me to call a lawyer? Are you okay? And it's like, what's going on? And I was like, no, 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 it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. And the whole time I'm sitting there and I got like everything like surrounded and locked down and I'm whipping up food. And they looking at all the art in the wall, and I'm thinking like, I can't believe that I'm free, that this is real. Yeah. And so I'm 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 incredibly humbled and thankful that I get to live the life that I live and get yeah. to travel and, and, and meet people. It, it's the best. Yeah. And I'm always telling folks, like especially when I'm in the hood, I'm like, dude, man, freedom is so dope. I can't believe you out here like jeopardizing your freedom, man. Yeah. Something wrong with you, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get it together. Out of your mind. You tripping, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> no way. Life is too good, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think about it all the time though. I'm I'm incredibly I'm friends with my judge now. Mm. And I, I, I remember doing this this speech in the women's prisons, and I was talking, it was 85% of these women were uh, were mothers. And I was telling them how important it is for us to have our mothers in the communities. I was like, even even if it's not my mother, someone mom says something to me, I'm usually gonna listen. I said, We we need you all back in the community. That's right. And and after this this speech, this lady came up to me, she says, You look really good in that suit. And I was like, Thanks. She says, No, you look really good. And I was like, and she said, you don't recognize me? And it was my judge. And I was wow. like, I saw a ghost. And she was like, she says, you don't have any idea how many emails and calls I get about you and the work that you're doing in Baltimore. And I was like, and I just was shocked that I, I met her. Like she, was, she wasn't like in the, in, the, in the judge robe. And she says, I've been tracking your progress. Um, and she was like, by the way, where's your car? Did you get the car, your dream car? The, the, I want to see it. That and I was like, I got it, yeah. So yeah, like, let's go take it for a ride. Yeah. So I walked her out to the uh, parking lot to see it and I had to ask her. I said, her name, uh, Judge Surratt. I said, why would you risk your career and give me a second chance and let me out? And she said, you would write letters every year and you would send me like your therapy reports and like your, your uh, college degrees and all the stuff that you've done. And I would just put it in your folder for years. She says, one night I just woke up and I just felt different. And I've heard every bullshit line, every story there is to hear. And I say, I'm going to just give him a hearing and I'm going to just listen to him. Mm. And she says, when you spoke to me, when you talked about what you would do when you get out, how you would pay it forward and you would help people and you would finish your plan. She said, I believed you. Mm. So I just risked it. She said, I'm glad I let you out. And that was confirmation for me because there was years when I was in prison where people would knock on my cell door. It'd be my birthday. Like, Chris, Chris, get up. I'm like, what's up? They get up. We smuggling a bottle of Remy. Get your cup. And I used to be like, ah, oh, mm. I can't because mm. I got this plan. Mm. And I'd be like eight years in on my sentence or yeah. whatever, on a life sentence. And, my, and some of my friends would tell me like, homie, you ain't never going home, bro. Live Stop a little bit. Bullshit. Yeah. And, I, and I told my judges, I said, me, me, you know, resisting all of that temptation while I was in prison, this is confirmation. And, and this is why I deserve to live a good life. Uh, and, you know, I, t I did my time. I, I worked on myself. I turned my life around. But she did 
roll the dice and give me a second chance. And most people don't get second chances. Right. And so since then, my case in the state of Maryland has been used as a benchmark and other people have who have good behavior, who've served their time, have been getting second chances. And, and so and, and how do you like how do you decipher, right? Because like I'm I'm trying to like I always try to look at you know, again, with just like how polarized shit is and like, what's yeah. the other side of this argument? Right. And like, what's, you, you, you know, and, and, and especially now, you know, you've got this, this, this polarized country, you've got one half of the country just hammering home in the media, how crime is rising yeah. and you know, the cities aren't safe. And again, that means something very different to people yeah. who have actually been in cities that, but, but I, I, I guess I'm wondering, like, what do you, what do you say? What do you say to those folks who say, yeah, well, what happens when we give those second chance folks yeah. that we let out and then they, they they go and like what do you say to the families of those victims like what do you what do you do about that well i i would say a few things first it's it's hard to fake hard work like you like if someone's like in prison for 15 20 years and and, and earned a college degree and is going to therapy and it's good right. behavior like right. you can't fake that shit and, and would you, do you think do you think there's statistics I mean, I would imagine there's not a single case. And again, I'm yeah, talking on my ass, but somebody who has gone and science gotten, behind this. It, 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 it drastically reduces recidivism. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. Mu it, it must. Yeah. But some people would say, well why, well, why should this person have access to like education and therapy? Well, my child is in, college, in debt for college and everything. But, you know, the flip side, like what I was talking about earlier, oftentimes people are dealt a bad hand by mm -hmm. society and their communities and wasn't given the opportunities that other people was given. And if we're paying for someone with taxpayer dollars to be in it anyway, they should be working on themselves. That's right. And that's proven to reduce recidivism. You come home, you're just like, what the hell was I still in cars for? Like, like I'm a, I can, I can fix cars now. I'm gonna right. start an auto right. mechanic business. Right. Like you right. just think differently. Right. Different mindset. And, and I imagine it's exponential how many folks take on that 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 sort of agenda or that 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 sort of plan. And I would imagine the majority have come out and just help others. Yeah, I that's yes, a huge part totally. of the fuel that keeps totally. them going. And, and to your point earlier, because you said this, like those are the best people to help others. That's like right. it, give, it gives them purpose. And that's why a lot of our facilitators and our programs are, are formerly incarcerated. We'll have a social worker and we'll have a formerly incarcerated person and they work alongside each other. But like you, you it's, just, it's different. It's different and special when you can sit down with someone at least for me, with someone who knows like what it feels like, like like he died in front of me mm -hmm. and I watched him go, or or the sound of bullets that zipped by and and this happened, or I was in solitary confinement. Like I instantly, I instantly connect with people who know what it feels like, and and it's uncomfortable with someone who's just like don't know where I come from, trying to tell me like what to do. Who the right. fuck are you, you, you to tell me this. like yeah. what to do? Like no one's gonna listen to you. You don't know what it's like to go to sleep hungry every night and, and gotta carry a gun and, and like they don't know. Yeah. And so so it's important for folks, I think, it's, it's going back into the figurative cave. Like once you get out and you see the world, you gotta go in it. This this is what happened to Scott Butnick actually. Like he was working on a movie and it was like, oh, you gotta go into like this jail. And it was him going into the figurative cave and he was meeting these young people and he saw all this untapped potential and he was like, I gotta go back in. Yeah. yeah. And he just kept I met Scott when I first came home. Hmm. And he was like, you know, I knew like, you know, you, you know, movie producer and everything, but he took my call. And we talked and we vibed me saying, You come out of LA, hit me up. Came out of LA, he blocked the streets off. We in South Central. Yeah. Barbecue, and he was like, all all these dope dudes. Yeah. Yeah. And women yeah. out there. And so like that that's what it takes. And so once once you make it out of the cave, like figuratively, it is a responsibility to go back 
and, and help out people, even if it's like a bit of advice. Yeah. I meet, whenever I meet like successful people all over the world, yeah, I might take some pictures with them or whatever, and it's fine to eat some food, but I'm always like, kind of like, like, what's the move? What's the lesson? But like, what did you, what, what would you have done differently? Mm. Even if it's like business contract advice or anything, like just give me like a jewel or something mm. like that to help me out. Mm. And so whenever I'm going back in, into the prisons or I'm in the hood, I'm always trying to drop a jewel. Here you go. Here, here's something to think about, homie. And, and I think it's important. It's, it's us going back into the cave. We got to mm. pay it forward. Mm. Mm. Man, I really appreciate you doing this. Do you no do problem. you have anything? Do you have anything uh, you want to nah, you want to ask man. or you want to <laughs> talk about? Or, or? no, nah, I just think I just think you are an incredible actor. Oh it's man, it's an honor sure. like to, to meet you, man. You just thanks, like your character is just like the characters that you played are just so good. Oh, thanks, and, and, man. And, and believable, and I I just love it. So I was pumped. This, this has really been yeah. Uh, I, I can't tell. I mean, you know, man, how yeah. many people you touch, but you, you really touched yeah. me, and I appreciate yeah, yeah, you. No Thank you, brother. Thank you for doing. <laughs> we gotta take a few photos too, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.